on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm your host, Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll start the show with some genre-related news. An anniversary this week is September 8th, marked 54 years since the network television debut of Star Trek, the original series. The date is observed as Star Trek Day. CBS All Access used the occasion to drop the latest trailer for Star Trek Discovery, which returns for its third season on the streaming service on October 15th. You can check out the trailer on one of the Fantastic Forum social media platforms. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, or like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. And the first trailer for Denis Villanueva's adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic sci-fi novel, Dune, dropped earlier this week. You can check it out on one of the aforementioned FF social media platforms. Part 2 of DC Fandome is currently underway. The virtual event takes fans deep into the multiverse. And if last month's Part 1 was any indication, there will be a whole lot of news coming out of the event. This time about the comics part of DC. You can participate at dcfandome.com. AMC's The Walking Dead will conclude following its upcoming 11th season. With delayed production due to the pandemic, episodes are not expected to air until late next year. AMC has also ordered a new spin-off series to center around the Daryl and Carol characters played by Norman Reedus and Melissa McBride. An anthology series to feature one-off episodes built around new and existing characters is also under development. AMC and Universal are also working on a series of feature films starring Andrew Lincoln as Rick Grimes. So it sounds like even though the original is coming to an end, this series is truly undead. And some sad news this week as legendary British actress Dame Diana Rigg passed away on Thursday. Rigg was well known as having co-starred as Emma Peel in the Avengers TV series, as well as Bond girl Tracy Drago in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Contemporary audiences knew her in the role of Oleana Terrell in HBO's Game of Thrones. She was 82. Wednesday, September 9th, was the premiere of the new Hulu comedy series from the mind of cartoonist Keith Knight. Woke has received critical acclaim for its satirical look at race and racism. Knight is no stranger to the topics and has been drawing socially relevant cartoons for years in his K Chronicles, The Nightlife, and Think strips. But this is certainly a breakout moment for the self-styled cartoonist, rapper, and multimedia artist. In an FF exclusive, Keith Knight joins me for today's show. Welcome to the show, Keith. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Ulysses. Oh, Very please. Soon. The pleasure is entirely mine, having a guest of your stature 
on the show. I mean, it, it, it is rare that we actually get a guest who has just had the premiere of their television series <laughs> only a couple of days earlier. So congratulations on uh, Woke actually making it to the screen. This is a tremendous accomplishment. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's been a long journey and uh, very excited about it. And um, just the reaction has been really, really good. And um, just excited that we made it this far. Super long journey. It's, it's great stuff. I mean, I, it's, it's great stuff. Uh, obviously, we don't want to get into spoilers, so we're not going to talk about it. But I have to tell our listeners, you don't want to miss this show. Yeah, absolutely don't. It's really funny. And, uh, and this guy is spot on in terms of, uh, in terms of his humor. So look, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Woke uh, a little later. Uh, what I would like to do is to uh, start out finding a little bit more about you because who you are and what you've been doing for a number of years that interested Hulu in, in you. So um, I, I would, uh, and I, I happen to have caught uh, your talk at the Library of Congress. And uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I, I just thought this was absolutely hilarious. There was a situation where you were in school where um, your class was drawing and you actually had a teacher who after... Uh, the teacher saw your work, tried to dissuade you <laughs> from drawing, was like, oh, you got no future in this, Keith. <laughs> Please well, tell me tell me about that, because I know I'm getting the story wrong. You no, know, it, it's interesting. It, well, I had teachers that, um, I had I had history teacher, a uh, history teacher that discouraged me from drawing. Instead of taking notes with words, I would I would draw the notes. So if they were talking about something in particular, I'd draw, I'd be drawing stuff and he would see me drawing and he would take, take my notebook away. And, um, and it was such a silly thing because now they, they say with studies that like you actually retain things better if you're doodling, uh, the stuff and, and, and now cartoonists get jobs doing graphic recording where they get invited to. Uh, a corporate uh, meeting, and then they they actually doodle the the meeting, and and then they take a screenshot of it and send it out to all the people that were at that meeting, so it helps them retain what they talked about. So, yeah, it was weird. Like it, it was a combination. I had teachers that totally discouraged me, even our teachers from doing uh, from doing cartoons. Our teachers thought uh, I had our teachers who thought that cartooning was too lowbrow for me and that I should be doing, you know, fine illustration, medical illustration and stuff like that. And, uh, but on the other hand, I had, I had English teachers that were, uh, they loved it and they, they encouraged me to do it. And I had this one English teacher that allowed me, instead of a book report, I asked him if I could do a comic book report. And this was after we read Animal Farm and, um, he allowed me to do this. I did a parody of Animal Farm. So if you know the story, it's about um, uh, George Orwell, uh, farm animals taking over the farm, kicking out the humans and making up rules, uh, two legs bad, four legs good. So I did a, a, a comic book parody where it was took place at my high school and all the students kicked out all the teachers and made up... Um, rules under 18 good over 18 bad and i was like i was the napoleon i was like the lead the lead pig <laughs> and, and, and 
but I, I did I, I did caricatures of a bunch of my teachers and and my teacher loved it. My English teacher freaked out, gave me an A plus plus, and and he actually kept it and showed it to all the teachers that I was making fun of, which, which you know, <laughs> better or for worse, made me quite popular. Um, but he he said, you know, you captured the essence of Animal Farm perfectly, but more importantly, you should be doing a syndicated comic strip. And that was the first time I ever heard syndicated comic strip, like a syndicate. And, and that, that's really what put me on my journey to become a, a cartoonist, a daily cartoonist. And um, so I, I thank him. And, and I'm sure I told the, the, the other story of the American literature teacher, which was my first black teacher. And it wasn't until mm. I was in college and he was an American literature teacher, and he assigned the class James Baldwin, Richard Wright, Ralph Ellison, uh, Maya Angelou. And when someone said, why are you giving us all black writers? He said, I'm giving you all American writers. And that was just a mind blower. That was like sort of, that was uh, my Matrix moment. <laughs> like, and mm. he, you know, really showed me he, he, he was making the point that Mark Twain isn't the be-all, end-all of American literature, even though that's what they teach us. That there is a whole huge amount of people that should be be taught this sh- history that should be taught. You know, he basically said, like, mm-hmm. we are not taught about the black contributions to to this, to America. and And so from that point on, my comics went about went from being about keg parties to what it's like to be black in in America, and so uh, those two teachers I think were were huge to me. Um, it only takes one teacher to to really I think make you motivated in life, and and it just it just takes one. And I had I had two, so it's pretty amazing. Mm. Well, the other thing, and and I'm uh, there's a bunch of stuff to unpack from what you had said. Um, I, the first thing that I want to mention is the significance of an African-American young man having a African-American male teacher. And, uh, you know, I, I think you, you can't minimize that. And you, you've referenced that before in some of your talks because I, it's so important for people to see themselves in any number of different professions and particularly something like teaching you know i mean i think that those of us who are african-american males can all remember uh, assuming that we were fortunate enough you were a certain age (laughs) to have an african-american male teacher but we all remember who that was so and and in fact there is a there's a statistic well i don't want to i don't want to call it but that's actually what it is but in terms of uh, the success of African-American male students and there being a correlation between their academic success and having had a African-American male teacher. I did, I did a strip about it. They, they had a study that like, if you just have one teacher from kindergarten to 12th grade, one black teacher, um, uh, black male students, their, uh, chance of going to college goes up like 30 to 35 percent 
and and this was a study that came out that I made I made a comic strip out of, and they were so excited that I did a comic strip about it that they were like, "Can we add this to our our thing?" <laughs> so I thought that was pretty amazing. But um, but it's it's not only that they said that teachers of color um, are generally the teachers that students of all races respond to the hmm. most. And, and here's why I believe that. I believe that, you know, we talked about it, seeing this role model, this person that looks like me in that position. But I think for white students, they learn nothing outside of themselves. They learn about white people all the time. And what they generally learn about people of color is bad, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when they have a mentor, a teacher, as a person of color, I think they respond to it so much because it shatters everything that they hear or think about or what they've learned about um, people of color. So then they're like, oh, my goodness. And, and they respond to it to them in a very positive way. It's it's one of the very simple things that we could do to improve our our educational system is to encourage teachers of color, like to put them in the schools, because I know that there's always you know, I know they mean well, but they always put these like sort of young, white, uh, bright eyed, bushy tailed uh, white lady mm -hmm. teachers into these inner city places, you know, and like, you know, with all, all, all black kids. And they, they've never interacted. They, they, they have no, you know, they mean well, but it's 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 not what they need, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. So it's it's an interesting situation. I, I, listen, I, I remember doing a slideshow in the New Orleans main library, um, and I just remember speaking. And this construction worker that was working outside came in and was just having lunch, like super far away. I had no idea he was listening to my talk. And uh, so I, I, at the end, I asked for questions. And you see this guy raise his hand way, way <laughs> in the back. And he just wanted to comment. He just said that, like, he grew up in, in I think, the 60s. And he, um, he said that they were just desegregating the schools. And he said he got a better education in the all-black school because he said that you know, the white teachers didn't want to teach black kids. They didn't care. Whereas at least in the black schools, the black teacher actually wanted the, the kids to succeed, wanted yeah. to teach the children. And so, I mean, that just says a lot. And we're, we're seeing everything revealed. We're seeing, you know, how police departments have been, you know, and they've always been infiltrated by white supremacists and, and folks like that. But just think about, think about all the people that are supposed to be caring for you, from doctors to mechanics to dentists to, you know, police officers and fire departments. Just think if they, you know, like if you get the wrong person and they don't mm. see you as as worthy of their care. And but they still have to do it because that's the law, you know. Yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, my wife always, you know, she, when, when we first got married, she'd be like, like, why do you always want women and people of color, like, to, you know, as dentists and doctors and all this stuff? And it's just like, I just, it, it's because, it's a it's a crapshoot, it's a crapshoot if I go like with with white folks, like 
I could get the nicest person in the world, or I could get somebody who doesn't think I, I'm I'm a human being. You know, <laughs> like yeah, grew up uh, in in a household where their dad told them that, like, oh no, you know, these folks they they don't deserve. If they're sick, it's probably all their crappy food they eat and this and that. It's like their own fault. That's why they're not healthy. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a very complicated situation that we find ourselves in. So, mm-hmm. well, and uh, I <laughs> this is this is a total aside here. Um, uh, the reason that I prefer female doctors is if I'm going to get a prostate exam, somebody's going to stick their finger up my butt. I'd rather have it be a woman than a man. <laughs> but that, but, but that, that, that's just me. Uh, well, you're listening. Just, to, <laughs> here's the other thing. That's uh, that's funny. But the other thing <laughs> that's is, why I threw it in. <laughs> but they they also like. They have to try so much harder to get where they're at. Yeah. So, so automatically they're going to be better. Like, yeah, yeah. There's a value the, there. Yeah, yeah. They, they like, and and this is another uh, stat that they talked about. Like that everyone just feels like female females care more about people. <laughs> like they do. <laughs> they do. No, you're absolutely they right do. about that. I wish wish they were running everything. Let's just say that. I wish they were running everything. Well, some of the, yeah, I I can't argue with that. Um, You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by uh, cartoonist, lecturer, television producer, Keith Knight. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about the education system. Um, But look, um, I want to ask you, because we've sort of... uh, I don't know, kind of brushed past it. But, um, well, two things, actually. Comics is a business, and you have been very adept at uh, being able to earn a living doing this, which is a heck of an accomplishment. Um, And the fact that (laughs) you are... (laughs) Yeah, well, and the fact that you are black while you're doing it, which is even a greater accomplishment, and the fact that you are about being black while you are doing it, and earning a living, which is an even greater accomplishment. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of curious because you started out, uh, you know, doing the strip. And at some point you were able to integrate the slideshow and lecturing in to all of this. How did how did that come about? Oh, man, it's interesting. I, I you know, was doing the strip for a while um, and I, I would just get asked to come in to, um, to present in the Bay Area, into at libraries and at um, at college classes and 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 even grade school classes, and so I would I would present the comics and just talk about how about my career and how I got to where I was. But then um, I don't know. At some point, I think it was Dave Eggers who saw me, uh, the writer Dave Eggers, who we mm. came up together at the same time. He was doing comics for the SF Weekly when I, I was first doing it. That was the first paper we were both in. And I just remember him saying, he said, you know, instead of presenting your comics as a whole thing in one slide, you should break them up and and, and read them panel to panel. Um, and that was a breakthrough for me because cause then you can sort of uh, hide back some of the jokes that came mm-hmm. 
and make it work it like it's work it like it's comedy, like stand up comedy. And so um, so I did I started doing that and and people totally dug it. And then he asked me to go on uh, a slide, a, a tour with They Might Be Giants, the band. So it was McSweeney's versus They Might Be Giants. And um, so I was doing these, I don't know, these thousand seat theaters, like presenting my comics. And it was sort of a trial by fire. And, uh, and, and I just realized like, this is, wow, this is something I can really sort of do often. And so it just, I just started doing that uh, on a regular basis, but it really, the, the slideshow really came together once, you know, once all the police brutality stuff was going on. Um, and, and I just saw how white people were reacting to it. Like it's some, like some new thing. <laughs> and, and I was just like, are people serious like I've been doing comics about this for like you know 15 20 years so once uh the Ferguson protests were going on uh I I put together a slideshow just about my police brutality cartoons and that's that's sort of really that really sort of put me on the map and uh it just grew from there and um it's it's been I you know, I love, I love doing the comics, but I love doing the presentations even more because it allows me. I don't like debating people online. I don't like engaging people. I post my stuff and then I walk away. I don't get into it with anybody online. Most of, most of the people you argue with online are paid to do that, or they're bots. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Don't waste your time. People, countries realize that. If they divide the U.S. by race, by Star Wars fans, you know, <laughs> like the, yeah. the the new sequels and folks who don't, mm. you know, everything. Black Lives Matter divide you, divide and conquer. That's what's going on. <clears throat> and so I encourage people not to engage online, but to come. Like I love doing the slideshow and getting to conversations with people uh, front and center live. Um, Obviously, in the times now warrant a, a virtual slideshow, but um, you know I've been able to do that too, and that's been really great. And people, even people who don't like to speak, feel a bit more comfortable like asking questions and chat uh, on the chat, which is really mm -hmm. nice. So I'm able to answer questions, and people, you know, ask these questions anonymously, and um, so it's it's it's. It's as much therapy for me as, as anything else, because I get to sort of really get into this and talk about this stuff. Well, having had the privilege of actually uh, seeing some of your slideshows, they are truly exceptional. And uh, that bit about showing them one panel at a time, and, you know, you uh, referencing them like it's stand up. I mean, that's that is so spot on. And you know, kind of bringing the audience along with you as your as the story is unfolding and then bam, you get to the last panel and uh, and there it is and light them up with it. And uh, it, it's really it's really very effective. Uh, you know, the the timely nature of it. And I, I, I remember you were talking about uh, how things have come around uh, to where now you are you're in the forefront of uh, of what's going on uh, socially and culturally. Let's face it, comics 
are inherently political. They always have been. A lot of fans of comics want to act as if they're apolitical. And, you know, well, why do we have to inject politics into comics? And no, 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 no. Oh, I they, like I said, I they, they've always been about that. And I've you've been particularly been. adept with that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, it, they, they've always been. And it's just like, it's such, it's amazing how selective people's memories are with, with, you know, with comics and with anything, really. And, um, yeah, I've just been, I've just been lucky to uh, really just be able to do what I've been put on earth here to do. And, and because of that, um, I'm able to, I don't know, it's, it, it's so funny because I, I just, I've always been this sort of freelance hustler type, you know, <laughs> starting out in the alt weeklies and just picking up gigs everywhere you could and just like self syndicating and just, you know, billing everybody and, and, and being at all the cons and all that type of stuff. And, you know, with the internet destroying newspapers, it was sort of like, I remember going to, uh, uh, a convention of editorial cartoonists in DC a while ago and I was just so excited because I was going to meet all these you know senior uh, editorial cartoonists who've been just at it for so long and I totally admired their work and I was going to ask them advice and all this stuff and the moment I walked into the lobby all these dudes came up to me and they were like how do you do what you do I've just been laid off from my job <laughs> you know just like <laughs> and it was, it was like, oh, I was, you know, I was like, oh, my God, if they're coming to me for for advice, then, <laughs> then our industry oh, They're is in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's just like, wow. I, and I would say, like, my goodness, like, the whole world, like, the whole world is pivoting towards towards what I do right now. It's It's such a bizarre thing. And... Even, you know, talking about the, um, the Library of Congress, I mean, that was in February, and it feels like it was like five years ago because oh, of everything yeah. that's happened um, since February. And, and I just remember in February, um, we were just about to shoot the, the season uh, for the show, and, um, you know, the Library of Congress was coming up, and I had just been asked by my alma mater, um, Salem State University, to do the commencement in the spring and I just remember calling my wife and going man this like this year starting out so good like something bad's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> and we knew that the world would just go right right downhill it's <laughs> so low and bold but hey look I'm, I'm gonna have to interrupt this just for a moment because that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break of course fantastic forum comes to you via WERA and streaming online at WERA.FM. We're a community radio station. That means, among other things, that we're non-commercial. And we rely on the continued generosity of our underwriters and our sponsors and listeners like you. Visit the website at WERA.FM. Find out how you can support this wonderful institution of community media. So we are going to step aside momentarily while we acknowledge those contributions. We're also going to take a couple of moments to 
remind you of the wonderful programming that's coming up after this show later tonight on WERA. But don't touch that dial because I'll be back with more of Keith Knight right after this. Don't go away. And we're back here on Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by lecturer, TV producer, cartoonist, and general all-around great guy, Keith Knight. And we've been talking a little bit about his career and his new TV series on Hulu that just premiered earlier this week called Woke. And we're going to talk a little bit about that coming up. But um, I, I want to, uh, Keith, I want to pivot back to uh, a couple of things that you were talking about in the first half of the show. You have, you have been a unique voice uh, talking about the African-American experience for some time. And it, it basically the rest of us have sort of just caught up with you, you know, I mean, uh, so I'm I'm fascinated by that because Hulu really had no idea what they had when they engaged you, and now uh, it, it, it's almost as if this thing has unfolded to where there's all this, and it, it in some cases it's it's terrible the nature of publicity and such as it is, but everything that is happening uh, helps to highlight your voice and your work. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild how we, one, managed to finish shooting the season on February 28th, and then like a week later, the whole country shut down. But <clears throat> two is, yeah, like, you know, when all the George Floyd stuff started happening, and the, the protests and everything, I just, I remember emailing uh, everybody, the producers going, I have a feeling like the whole season of the show is going to just play out before our very eyes over the next <laughs> and a half. And um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty nutty. I mean, you know, I, I think the timing of the show would be uh, totally perfectly timed 20 years ago, 40 years mm -hmm. ago, 20 years in the future. Um, I just think that that's, you know, racism and police brutality is evergreen. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's not going anywhere, and you know everybody's now understanding that you have to get it on camera just for for people to even believe it. You know, all, all that post-racial stuff. I mean, generally, it's you know the people who said that are all white people or people that want to be white, like Mickey Haley. And um, if the, if you know the history of this country, whenever the white majority thinks that the black um, population got something they react in a very negative way. So, mm -hmm. after, mm -hmm. you know, after Reconstruction, um, they started, you know, banning blacks from everything and just having these separate but equal uh, Jim Crow and all mm -hmm. the stuff. And then all the violence that happened, the massacres in Tulsa and, and Rosewood and all that stuff. And, and it's the same thing with the civil rights um, and, and sort of the drug war and, and mass incarceration. So you knew that there was going to be a, a reaction. And essentially, um, I just remember reading somewhere how um, whites who ran the country feared so much about having 
a black president. And it's not because they didn't think they would do a great job. It's because they thought they would do they, they, too good a job. They, well, they were, they were worried that white people would finally see that their you know, that the black race was not inferior, you know, so that mm. is what they feared. And I honestly believe that white folks lost their minds when, <laughs> when there was a black family in the White House. I and we are watching too, that collective breakdown to the point where they are willing to destroy the country. They would, you know, there's a, 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 there's a, 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 a part of this country, a part of this white population that would rather destroy the country than than to see people treated equally, uh, you know. And I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to say all white people, people feel that way, but I think that there's a lot of white folks who are like, like, no, like, we like what the police are doing. We, yeah. uh, we, we like what the president is doing right now. You know, yeah. we, because it's all we have. Um, it's we don't. I may not be able to afford a house. I may not be able to be educated, but at least I know that the police may treat me better than than the black or brown guy. You know. Yeah. And the roots of racism run deep, and yeah. I think it was Harry Truman that said, "If you can keep the have the lowest white man feeling like he's better than the highest black man, he won't notice while you're picking his pockets." It was either LBJ or it might have been Harry Truman. Yeah, but, uh, and, yeah, and and yeah, and you know, you just—I think it was James Baldwin, um, who said, like, you know, what happens if if you took the hate away from these folks? Like, he says, you know, you would, you would never, like, I, I think they 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 hate so much because if you took that hate away, that there'd be this this sadness. There'd be this very there's the sadness that's lingering under under there and yeah. uh, and you're just wondering like and tony morrison said like well, you know why why do you feel the need to put you know to to keep somebody low to make you feel better like like what is yeah. that what is creating that so you know it's it's a very interesting thing but the first thing we got to do like people have to come to terms with our past and how this how this yeah. country was built on the blacks, uh, on on the blacks, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. the blacks of people that look like look like me and you, and um, we don't teach no. any of the bad stuff that the U.S. did. So we're destined to repeat over and over again. We just call it something different, you know. We we don't have slavery now, but we pay uh, uh, incarcerated people very. We pay them pennies a day to fight fires, like. In 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 California, and mm -hmm. they design, they make car part, parts and yeah. parts. Basically, you know? <laughs> using them as slave labor. Exactly. I, I watched a sheriff in in somewhere in Louisiana break down because there was uh, um, some law that was passed that they couldn't use prisoners to wash their cars, and he was like almost in tears. <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, like. It's it's called something different. You know, my mom was a, a sharecropper in Georgia. She got paid pennies a day to pick cotton, you know, and it's, it's not slavery because they got paid, but they got paid pennies. They, yeah. it's, it's just a different name. And, and of course, you know, 
it's, it's not a law that's overtly racist, you know, but it's all designed that way. So you, yeah. you can't say, oh, this is racist. Like it's, it's very, America's great at doing that. And, um, and, and, you know, in many ways, like the chickens have come home to roost when, you know, in Florida, they made applying for unemployment so difficult because, because they, they knew like that they didn't want black people like applying, applying for unemployment and then right. COVID hits and then all these white Floridians have to do it and, they can't, <laughs> and they're having a hard time doing it. Like, so, yeah, yeah. Those are those things where it's just like, you know, they're, they're willing to shoot themselves in the foot. Like I should, I shouldn't even say that even worse. Like they're, they're willing to destroy themselves as long as, as they're destroying other um, people that they think of less than. This is part of the psychosis and, and it's part of, the biggest problem that we have, because I believe that today uh, people lack generally, they lack media literacy. And that and that's how you can oh, have somebody that's who it. decides that they don't believe the New York Times and they are going to just disregard the evidence of their own eyes and they're going to accept uh, what is essentially madness and foolishness and nonsense and embrace that as truth. And um, up until we can educate people to look at something and to evaluate it based on the relative merits of it, as opposed to what you want to believe, because that's the other side of it. There are a bunch of people in this country, they want to believe something and they're willing to disregard all evidence to the contrary if it um, if it reinforces this belief I mean you know a, t a degree of cognitive dissonance but they have to embrace this or they can't believe what they've been promoting for years yeah and 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 I also think that like you know the regulations that were taken away in the 80s uh, uh, giving corporations the opportunity to buy up multiple mm -hmm. TV stations, radio stations and and to control the media like that's you know if 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 there was any way if if i ever was able to ascend to the presidency i would be like i would break up all these corporations and just like be like you can't own all these multiple media uh, outlets in the same markets yeah it's like a monopoly yeah, because independently owned media, newspapers, television, radio stations, like it provides like jobs. Like imagine like instead of sending syndicated radio shows to a thousand different radio stations, imagine if everyone had to produce stuff like what you're doing right now and, and just get back to having individual voices. And, and you're mm -hmm. right, media literacy. I taught media literacy when I was living in and I got trained by um, some amazing folks, and I taught it in high school when I was living in, in mm. San Francisco. And that is a huge thing. I think, I don't think that the powers that be want, they don't want people to be media literate. They don't no. want people to be financially literate. And that's one of the reasons why I talk about racial illiteracy. They don't want people to know the history of this country. They don't want to, they want, people to be in the fog about these three different things. And um, 
there are classes that study what Fox News does because mm. the way they run the, those ticker tape things at the bottom of the the, the cryons or whatever they're called, yeah. um, it, you know, it's designed to make white people mad. It shouldn't even be called news. It should be called no. news entertainment. No. The way the way the the WWE is sports entertainment. You know, they mm -hmm. stop. Yep. They were, aren't allowed to call themselves sports because it's all staged. It's all fake. right. Fox News should be Fox News Entertainment, but unfortunately, we have a, a large group of people that are like, "This is, this is the real thing. This is," and, yeah. and that's why what we have in the White House has a very real chance of getting back in again. Yeah, have a propaganda machine that is that big. Um, you know, Nixon would have been if Nixon had that, he'd still be in office. So really, mm -hmm. oh, he, yeah. he and, didn't and propaganda, propaganda is machine. dead on. Yeah, well, you're right. And propaganda is dead on because, I mean, right from the Joseph Goebbels playbook, because, you know, it, it, and this is why I say it comes down to that media literacy thing, because you have a population that cannot tell the difference between propaganda and actual news. Yeah. And, you know, and you should. You should simply, by virtue of looking at it and listening to it, be able to say, wait a minute, what this, what this, um, personality least, is telling me does not sound right yeah at least question it enough that you do a little bit of research because all mm -hmm. it takes is a little bit of research on on like and all these posts that people are redoing and uh or you know uh you know posting up on facebook or whatever all it takes is like two you know two clicks to find that it's you know something yep. real Thank you. something's altered or and but people don't Thank want to cut that time you know well or worse they're posting something and they'll uh, they'll attach the caveat i don't know if this is true but well then why are you posting it dummy you know? yeah. it's like if you haven't determined the veracity of it why are you even putting this out there you know i mean oh that burns me up keith oh my god i can't tell you but look you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online at WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by author and cartoonist and lecturer uh, Keith Knight. And uh, we've been talking about some of the, uh, the, the plagues that uh, that 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 ill us <laughs> as a as a culture and a society we we all we're almost out of time i want to pivot back to hulu and to woke because i haven't asked you anything about this yet how this thing happened for you you put in like here's the thing with hollywood is like you don't i don't think anyone really gets an agent until stuff happens and then and then the agents you know everyone shows up but uh, yeah, uh, give me my ten percent, Keith. <laughs> yeah, I moved down to you know I saw my industry imploding in in the two thousands, and I realized that like I can't I can't I'm not going to be able to do comics for alternative weeklies anymore. Like you know, and my my original goal was to move out to San Francisco for five years, and then move down to L.A. and try to develop something. Mm. I moved to San Francisco. I loved it. I stayed there for 16 years. You know, I met my mm. wife. We got married, and then, like, at some point, we're like, I, I, we got to move to LA and and develop something. So we moved down there, and uh, I just I met this really cool producer uh, named John Will, who's just loved my stuff, and it just he loved my stories, and he just thought like, there's something here, and um, 
And, you know, he introduced me to uh, a bigger producer who introduced me to a bigger production company who introduced us to Sony. And, and then Sony put, uh, uh, had me develop a pitch and also paired me up with uh, an experienced writer, Marshall Todd, to go mm -hmm. in and pitch to Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO. And uh, it, it was Hulu that was really interested they paid us to write a uh, pilot and um and i tell you just everything uh just came together like we wrote the pilot and then they were like wow this is great let's let's shoot it and and i didn't realize like we were going into uncharted territory um but i just knew that i was naive enough to think that we could do it marshall was <laughs> was seasoned enough to enough to that every time we had a meeting he was like they're gonna pull the plug they're gonna pull the plug <laughs> and i was like i don't think so like eh. and he's like you, you don't know you've never been it but then i knew we were gonna make it once he started going we're gonna have a show we're gonna have a show you know <laughs> but it really was like just i i understand now if anyone when people win something how they have to thank like 30 people you know um, so many things that have to align. When I was at the Mocha Festival in New York um, mm. a couple of years ago, I just realized like how rare it was to make a pilot because so many artists were coming to me going, I had a development deal and it never went past this or never did. I've never had, I've had 10 development deals and I've never had a pilot made. You are so lucky, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like, I think this, <laughs> but all along the way, I just had people experience come and say like i think you're gonna get a show <laughs> which is really nice and and they were like you know but like they said you, you you're too nice you gotta be <laughs> don't be taken advantage of <laughs> i had i i even had uh, a short film uh, a german filmmaker like 20 years ago do a short film based on my comics so i mm. and I, so just seeing the German version, this little German uh, short film, I, I knew that it would it could translate well to live action on the screen. And so, um, so I knew it would get developed at some point. I just didn't think it would be, like you said, on Hulu with Lamorne Morris playing me and play, people like Blake Anderson and Sashir Zamata and like, you know, Cedric the Entertainer doing a voice, Nicole Byer, uh, Eddie Griffin, like all these amazing um, voice actors. It, it's it's pretty surreal, and it's it's what I've always wanted, supersized. And to think that I was able to do it on my own terms, which is like I didn't move back to LA, you know. I, mm. it, although I did go back there and crashed on couches while I was in the writers' room. But um, it's and I'm just I'm just so thankful and I'm I'm really happy it happened to me at this point as opposed to like in my 20s or 30s because then I would have pissed it all away <laughs> <laughs> some silly way. But uh, I'm enjoying the moment and um, and just looking forward to learning what we did right and what we did wrong in season one and hopefully getting a season two and just improving on it making it better and funnier and and th that's what i really love too which is people are getting it the way we wanted people to get it which is 
you know, we're not here to save the world. We're here to make people laugh and make people think and hopefully make people, you know, do something like, and that's what I think the best of my cartoons do. So the fact that that translates to the, the screen is makes, makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is you basically. I mean, it is, it is a show about you, about your life. It's inspired by me and my work. So it's very loosely based, you know, I had two roommates one was black, one was white. I did get profiled by the police. I did do uh, black people for rent posters. You know, just like <laughs> these different, there are things in it, you know, um, that are, but it's very loosely based. And so, you know, hopefully it captures the essence of my work and, and what I'm trying to do, which is, you know, I, I heard someone say, we haven't seen this character before in television, which is nice. Hmm. It's hmm. nice to hear. That yeah. is a huge compliment. I mean, to in, an, in a, uh, an industry like television, to do something unique, that's <laughs> unique. <laughs> so. it, it is. It is, mm-hmm. but we've been so limited, like, in, when it comes to black representation on television. Mm-hmm. So for us, you know, there are there are millions of stories that could be told that yeah. haven't mm-hmm. been told, and until we have gatekeepers that look like us, you know, it's the same. You know, bringing it all the way back to the teachers again. You know, mm-hmm. having representation in in the officers that make the decisions right. are are is super important because, you know, one of the things that was sort of um, hard to get people to grasp is the magical realism of it because whenever you involve black people it's urban gritty stuff you know <laughs> and it's just like yeah you know trying to do the fantastical or magical realism it was hard for people to grasp that idea without seeing it you know like oh okay so what these bottles come to life and they're talking to him you know <laughs> it's just like and i credit maurice marble the um mm-hmm. The director and and he's an executive producer with the show. He's the one who suggested that we use puppetry instead of just two D animation, mm, mm-hmm. and that's the difference. That's what made it because he wanted it to really live in the world. So you, it felt like he was really talking to these balls. Right. And I tell you, if we had made it two D animation, it would have looked cheap and flat and you know we use 2d animation still in it we use it for toast and butter but that's really to show how flat they are you know i notice your art i mean well i guess because the guy is keith knight but your art actually can be seen in the show oh yeah i mean i did believe me season two (laughs) i'm gonna have a separate uh separate uh, contract for doing all. I that. was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> that's a check, man. <laughs> no lie, man. I, I I had a hand in almost every like just like costumes and music and writing. Like I'm not saying I did it all myself. I'm oh, just course. saying that like they were just you know they were asking me to just approve so much and I mean and and it was just important for me to to be a big part of it because one of the things that always drives me crazy when someone sells something to Hollywood 
is it'll come out and then the original the person that sold it or had you know created it hates it you know they mm, sit there yeah because they, they've changed so much from the yeah. original conception yeah and, and so it was important for me to to be in the writer's room to um be on set to create a lot of the stuff in it because i just if it was gonna fail i wanted it to fail on my terms and i love the fact that people just feel like they see me all through it like not you know not physically see me but just mm -hmm. like see my sensibilities yeah well he, he don't really look nothing like you but you know, like... <laughs> listen but i gotta tell you i, mm -hmm. I gotta tell you he did lamore did an incredible job he's created his own keith knight basically yeah exactly mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah, yeah yeah and a very believable keith knight he but his he is able he does acting in this that I don't think the other projects he's been involved in allowed him to do. Yeah. So, um, so people are going to see a side of him that is just, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's really cool. That's one of the things that I love most about television and television like this when it's successful. It, you know, again, the rising tide that lifts all boats. When when everything's working well, I mean, it's. I just remember watching uh, a scene that I had written, and it was like the first sort of big scene between uh, Lamorne and T. Murph, and just watching their chemistry mm -hmm. happen, and we were just like, man, like that's it, like right there. We were just so psyched that it worked so well, and. You're just thankful that it just all just came together, um, because I just I would always hear these nightmare stories of just how things don't come come together very well, and mm -hmm. uh, and so we were just very fortunate, and especially like people talk about the writers' room like being like the only person of color in the writers' room, and 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 we were lucky to have a very diverse writers' room, and it's just like all I know is you know a black female showrunner and a black uh gay showrunner and uh uh um you know i think it was mostly female the writer's room and um just ages um colors genders just everything was 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 very uh like just diverse the way i guess most writers room rooms aren't so um um I, i'm i'm spoiled i, I was very lucky <laughs> well it's absolutely very special and uh i'm i'm confident that this will be exceptionally well received but if people want to find out more about you or the stuff that you've done and are continuing to do how may they go about doing so yeah, you can check out my website, kchronicles.com, K-C-H-R-O-N-I-C-L-E-S. And um, also, the best way to follow all my recent stuff, all the latest cartoons, is through my Patreon page. It's a good way to subscribe. Um, and it's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Keith Knight, K-E-E-F-K-N-I-G-H-T. Thank you so much. And... Um... 
you know, I what for, I, I look forward to having you back on when you can talk about, yeah, we've been picked up for a second season, <laughs> you know, or, you know, maybe even being able to uh, be fortunate enough to have you as a panelist on the show, because, uh, you know, you're, like I guess you have an important voice and something really important to say that people need to hear. And, uh, you know, if, if, if part of what we can do here is to add to that platform, then I'm more than happy to do it. You know, it's that rising tide that lifts all boats. Oh, man, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Cool. All right. Keith Knight, everybody. So, hey, um, also, Fantastic Forum is available as a podcast if you go to the Great Geek Refuge. Uh, and you can always visit our website at fantasticforum.tv. We've got the television episodes broken out. We've got episodes of the radio show. The show re-airs each and every Thursday right here on WERA 96.7 FM from 3 to 4 p.m. And, of course, don't forget to come back next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Have a wonderful weekend, people. <laughs>